when you go from the topic of marriage in general to particular situations, that's when things can't possibly be simple anymore because life is radically complicated. And so what do you do if your husband hits you, but he only ever did it once, never happened again, and you think that you guys are able to get past it? What do you do if he did it four times? What if he does it once every three days? Mm-hmm. And you realize that when you when you go into real situations of life, they become very complicated. You guys know me. I'm Mike Winger. And I was recently interviewed by Dr. Julie Slattery on Java with Julie. She wanted to talk to me about, to be honest, just like really tough questions about divorce and remarriage, like really challenging life situations and scenarios and how to like bring scripture into those issues and get clarity. Well, anyways, this is that interview. And we're going to be getting into a lot of tough stuff. And I'm going to try to bring... Um, real simplistic summaries of my larger content on the topic of divorce and remarriage. I'll link my larger video down below, but I do hope that you find this helpful and healing. So Pastor Mike, I'm really not quite sure how to describe what you do. Would you like consider yourself an online pastor or how do you tell people what your ministry is? Well, I mean, I'm more of a, a pastor online than I am an online pastor, only because, you know, when you have a pastor, there's a, there's a, there's a connection there that's more personal and mm-hmm more accessible than I can be online. So I'm a pastor who's giving his his, his thoughts and ideas online. I, I teach the Bible. My goal is to help people learn to think biblically about everything. And so I tackle all kinds of issues and go deep on topics. It's not surface level teaching. They're not always quick answers. And um, and I just want to, I want to create a massive catalog of free resources, helping Christians to be faithful to the scriptures and to be able to learn how to vet their own experiences and their own traditions in light of the plain teaching of the word, as well as defending the truth of Christianity. So, I mean, I guess I'm not very good at defining it either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's hard to say all that when you're sitting next to somebody on an airplane. Yeah. Yeah, you just say, I answer questions for people about the Bible online. There you go. There yeah. You go. One of the challenges I would guess with being a, a pastor who works online is you don't necessarily have the feedback or the community uh, of people that you're seeing every day, do you feel like you have a connection to um, an in-person organization or does it feel like you're sort of a lone ranger? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm in fellowship. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm in church and I'm, you know, we we're attending every week and we're in fellowship with believers in our lives. So in mm-hmm. that sense, I have community. Yeah. Um, but what's interesting is I have more feedback than I've ever had as doing ministry in person, right? Because people are always giving their feedback. I oh, have yeah. hundreds and hundreds of comments every day. Yep. So I get lots of feedback, but that's not the same as relationship. That's very true. Yeah. And so I just don't look to my online ministry to provide me with relationships because my online teaching is not the church. Mm-hmm. It's not it's not the organism of the church. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a piece of what I do to serve the Lord, but my fellowship with with fellow mm-hmm. believers in person, that's more that's yeah. more where I get that, yeah. So you're providing a tool. You're not saying that, hey, this is your church. Oh, yeah. And this is like, hey, if you have questions about this topic, I'm, I'm going to study it. I'm going to teach it from a biblical perspective, which is really helpful because people search for a lot of answers online. Yeah. In fact, one of my one of my things, if I could be so bold to say this, is I, I think a lot of believers sense that they're not being taught very deeply in their church. Mm-hmm. But they still love their church and they fellowship well there. And it's not like it's heresy. They just wish it was deeper. And so my ministry comes along and says, hey, here's some of that deeper teaching. It will it will fill out your your knowledge gathering as a Christian to nurture you. 
Yeah. And you'll feel more sustained and more capable. And then you could bring that to your own church and slowly add more of that into the culture of this church that you love. Mm-hmm. So I, I look at it as just coming alongside. Yeah, that's super. So speaking of deep teaching, uh, we're here to talk about divorce and remarriage. And you did uh, a YouTube video that goes into all the passages that relate to this topic. And it was over three hours long, like monologuing. So this was not a debate. It was just teaching through all of that. That was pretty extensive. Yeah. Yeah. That was, it was long. It was long. And I, I did try to get into all the debates, although it's my teaching on the past, on the passages and the topics. And I try to really make it very systematic. We added timestamps so people can find whatever mm-hmm. they need at the moment. But I went into uh, reading, you know, current scholarship who've mm-hmm. written on the topic of divorce and remarriage. Um, and so guys like David and Stone Brewer or Craig Keener, who are mm-hmm. much more on the uh, permissive side of things. And then guys like John Piper, Dave, David Pawson, who are very much on the restrictive side of things and try to interact with all their arguments to form, here's the idea, a cohesive to- total understanding with, I think I came up with, I think it was 13 principles or something mm-hmm. that I, think there were I feel, yeah. Oh, there, I there forget now off the top. <laughs> <laughs> okay, there's 16. So, um, but which I think are all internally consistent mm-hmm. and they are all, um, you can hold them up to the light of all the scripture or any scripture on the topic and they'll hold true. So mm-hmm. that, that to me, I, I feel great because for years I wouldn't answer questions about divorce for a lot of situations. I go, I'm not sure about that. I'm not clear on that. And I'm afraid to meddle with your life. I mean, to, talking about this topic with people is like doing open heart surgery on somebody. And if you don't know where you're supposed to put the scalpel, like don't go in. You know? So, yeah. so this was a, uh, this was, this made me very happy to be able to present something I thought was robust. Yeah, well, I so appreciate it because of what you just said. Uh, We can look at this as a biblical topic, as a scholarly topic, but in reality, it's a very, very personal topic. And most people that are asking questions about divorce and remarriage are doing so because they or somebody they really love is having to make these decisions. And Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that can be really frustrating for people about the Bible is it seems like God isn't clear on some of these issues. And I've talked to people who are like, I just want to know what God says. And I feel like if I listen to this person, it seems like the Bible is more permissive. And if I listen to this person, it sounds like there's never a biblical reason for divorce. Before we get into some of those arguments, can you address just that that ambiguity and why that makes some people feel like they can't trust what the Bible says? Mm. Um, well, please, please hit me back with the follow-up, even a pushback question. If you have it on this, let me share a thought on it real quick, which is, um, I understand the desire of, I just want the simplicity of how to, of how to answer, how to apply the Bible into my situation. But when you go from the topic of marriage in general to particular situations, that's when things can't possibly be simple anymore because life is radically complicated. And so what do you do if your husband hits you? but he only ever did it once, never happened again, and you think that you guys are able to get past it, what do you do if he did it four times? What if he mm-hmm. does it once every three days? Mm-hmm. And you realize that when you when you go into real situations of life, they become very complicated. You know, does a woman, should a woman leave her, her husband over this issue? And you're like, well, maybe she's in a culture and in a situation where she would be in abject poverty and likely starve to death. And so your advice to her starts to become more nuanced and careful. 
mm-hmm. and someone else is in a situation where they could have an, a sense of independence if they were able to depart. And so your advice to them shifts. So what I'm suggesting here is marriage itself, the Bible's super clear on. When it comes to the difficult issues of um, tough and hard marriages and uh, severe situations of abuse, things get more complicated. But I do think the Bible has clarity for us, but we have to let the Bible have some complexity because our lives have a lot of complexity on these issues Mm. too. When you explain it that way, it feels like God is actually more loving by adding nuance and ambiguity rather than less loving because he's making room for the fact that not every situation is the same and it does require compassion and wisdom and discernment. It's not a one size fits all. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And life is like, you know, you live long enough, you learn everything's more complicated than you thought, but underneath that complexity is a lot of simplicity that can guide us through all of it. And so I'm, I think we find that same balance with the scripture on the topic of marriage mm-hmm. and divorce. All right. Well, let's go there. Uh, so you start out your three hour teaching. I like the way you started out because you talk about there's, there's kind of a danger on both sides here. There's a danger for giving liberty where God hasn't given liberty. And there's just this permissive view of, yeah, if you're unhappy in marriage or uh, you know, things aren't going well, God's okay with divorce. And then you talk about there's a danger on the other side of marriage is permanent. There's no reason to ever break a marriage. Can you talk about both of those dangers before we dive into sort of the practical application? Right, yeah. So, um, you know, the the... the Let's talk about the two dangers. So on the one side where people are like, hey, marriage is sacred, which I agree with, <laughs> and you, you can't just break it. But then they go even further, you just can't break it. Like it's literally unbreakable. And they'll say things like, hey, in Romans, it tells us that, you know, if, if a, 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 a man dies, sure, the woman's free to get remarried, but that's the only situation. And um, what's beautiful about that is it preserves the value of marriage. Marriage is core in, in our whole culture. And it's hugely valuable to individuals. And we often are tempted to flee and escape. And, and especially newlyweds, they, they go, why is it I just made my commitments and six months into the marriage, I, I want out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and often the first few years are the hardest years, very frequently for, for young married couples, even ones that have a great foundation. And so like it protects against those things. But it's extreme in the sense that there's zero exceptions to the rules. Mm-hmm. There's zero exceptions. So if you have a, a, a horribly abusive situation, um, horrific abuse going on, then you can't even flee for your own life. Like David fled from Saul, you know, who tried to pin him to the wall with a spear, but but it's as though the the woman is still bound, you mm-hmm. know, in that situation. Usually, more often than not, it's a woman who's being abused. Statistically, it's much, much higher that a woman is abused than a man when it comes to physical abuse, at least. Mm-hmm. Um so then on the other side, you've got the the people who were like, hey, man, there are these situations we need exceptions for. And when we look at Jesus, we go, look, he said he offered like one of them right there, adultery. And Paul, he offers another exception here, which is like abandonment. Mm-hmm. And maybe we can make a case that uh, that abuse is like these things as well. And the but what I often hear is they build this careful case for like why abuse is OK. But these same people that are permissive, they then throw out their permission to everybody like yeah. Hey man, if you gotta if you gotta go, you gotta go, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and um and of course that taps into the fact that we as humans are gonna have a hard time selflessly loving and holding together with another broken human for all of life, and so it ends up being like you've got these 
two extremes where on one extreme they they uh cause more harm to come upon those who are in, abused or in extremely bad situations in marriage because they won't let them have recourse either you can't separate or you have to stay single forever mm -hmm. uh, if you do and then on the other side you have the destruction of um you know, 50% divorce rates and mm -hmm. stuff like that, where people just feel like, well, I'm just not happy anymore. And, yeah. uh, and so both of these seem wrong to me and I've tried to find a middle ground there. Yeah. And when you say both of these seem wrong to me, it's not because they just seem wrong to you. Mm -hmm. uh, I know your heart is to say, let's look at scripture and they seem wrong when we look at the whole of scripture. Um, so again, I know we don't have the three hours for you to unpack every single passage that applies to divorce, but if you were to give an overarching kind of principle of here's basically what you need to know the Bible speaks about related to this topic, what would you say? Um, <clears throat> let me just try to do this off the top of my head. My quick response would be um, marriage is absolutely sacred. It's of much greater value than probably probably any of us are giving it credit for. Mm -hmm. It has to do with the nature of the two becoming one. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, two becoming one, just stop and ponder that for a minute. And, it, and according to Jesus, these two are what God has joined together. So it's not just a natural relationship, it's a supernatural connection that Jesus says, don't break this, don't violate this. I think most divorces are actually objectively wrong and immoral that mm -hmm. that divorce took place. Um, the so, so that's that's going to hit like the vast majority of marriages. That's the that's the end of the story. It's like, yeah, double down. Husbands love your wives self-sacrificially. Wives respect, yield to to the leadership of your husband in a godly way, not in an oppressive, domineering fashion, and um, do all these things as unto Christ, because it pictures Jesus and His church. Marriage is so valuable. Like, marriage itself is more valuable than how you perceive your marriage being valuable individually. Yeah. And so, I think that that's true. But I think that the Bible does give exceptions that are very important. So the Bible seems to affirm that divorce can and really does happen, that it's real divorce, that legitimate divorces, divorces that ha have been, were legitimate when they happened or were legitimized after they happened, I can explain that later, that those do free a person to remarry. I do think that that's the case. Um, mm -hmm. And so some of those things could be like uh, adultery, abandonment, or abuse. And my short explanation on this is, if I abuse you, I force you to flee. So you could call this abandonment by proxy. It's like I've I've caused you to flee because of my abuse. So the separation is my fault. If I'm unwilling to repent, if I won't listen to the church, I can be treated as an unbeliever. And in that situation, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 that a woman is free, right? Mm -hmm. That she is not bound. She's not enslaved, actually, mm -hmm. is the term he uses. And so that would mean... Uh, you know that she's free to to pursue a new relationship. So, um, I'm sure I've I've left things out as I try to yeah. give you like a quick sure, a quick summary. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think most of us have heard in the scriptures that talk about. I, I think Jesus said this: you're you're not able to get divorced. Or I think it says if you, uh, if you divorce except for infidelity and you marry someone, then you're an adulteress right. or an adulterer. Is that correct? And yeah, so in Matthew 19, he says, like, if if a man divorces his wife except for, the word is porneia in uh -huh. the Greek, and okay. it's usually translated adultery, mm -hmm. and um, but it may be more than that. But he says if, if he divorces, then the remarriage is itself committing adultery. Mm. Is, and, there a, yeah. is there another Greek word for adultery that Jesus could have used? Did he intentionally use kind of this um, 
broader term of sexual immorality for a reason? Yeah, great question. Yeah, yes, there is. Moikio mm -hmm. is a Greek word that means strictly adultery. And porneia seems to be like a, uh, a, a word that's like a broad term, like a junk drawer word for sexual immorality. Mm -hmm. So porneia is different in that we have it used in the Old Testament, uh, in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, as well as the New Testament. And in other places, we, we can read about like Sirach and stuff, that um, the term could mean incest. It could also refer to bestiality. Mm -hmm. It could refer to sex before marriage or sex with someone other than your spouse during marriage. Mm -hmm. And so I think Jesus, you know, here's the question. Why would he use a term that's more broad? Why didn't he just say adultery? And I think the answer is because life is complicated and weird. Mm -hmm. And sometimes someone's like, well, my spouse did this really weird thing. Maybe mm -hmm. it's not technically adultery, but mm -hmm. it is gross sexual immorality. Yeah. And so so there was that, that uh, legitimacy to the divorce then. Yeah. I and think, you could yeah. see examples of that. Um, like, for example, if your spouse is cross-dressing or doing something else sexually that's not in line with God's expressed desire for sexuality, but it doesn't cross that line of adultery that, hey, this is still very serious. Uh, you know, I think for a lot of people, they're struggling with the question of pornography. Mm -hmm. uh, and if pornography is porneia, which it is a, a form of porneia, uh, where, where does it cross that line where we start to say this is not just about a confrontation, but but it's actually something that we need to consider maybe grounds for divorce? I find this this question super challenging. Um, let me just lay out some of the confusion and com complexity that I see in it. So for one thing, Jesus did say, and this is where people usually go, if you look at a woman to lust after her or vice versa, if you look at a man to lust after him, you've committed adultery in your heart. And so they go, so therefore, lust is adultery, so lust is cause for divorce. Mm -hmm. um, and here I just want us to understand that what Jesus is saying was not meant to be taken. I don't think that way. And I'll give an example. When he says, if you hate your brother in your heart, you've committed murder in your heart. So my, my question is, if you think lust equals I can divorce you because that's adultery in the heart, do you also think we can put you in prison for hating people? Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, no, because why? There's a difference between what happens in my heart and mm -hmm. what I've actually done physically. Now, I'm not saying, someone's going to hear this, I'm not saying what happens in your heart doesn't matter. I'm just saying it's different, right? Yeah. And the consequences are different than if you do it physically. So if I was to lust after somebody, that's not the same as having actually gone and physically committed adultery with them. That's much worse. Mm -hmm. They're both bad, but one is much worse and one is directly caused for adultery. But it's not that simple because pornography isn't just looking to lust because especially with technology as it continues to progress and people have opportunities to actually interact mm -hmm. with these different individuals that are doing this online stuff. And so it turns into potentially more of an actual relationship. Now, it's not a physical one, but I definitely think there's a line that seems like you're, you could be crossing it when you move into um, explicit sexual interactions with a person and they're engaging with you and you're engaging with them as opposed to looking with lust, which is more of like a, a, a passive thing on the part of the other person. Like mm -hmm. I, I'm the one lusting, but they're just being there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so, so again, this is, this is difficult for me. What I want to say is that I don't think inherently pornography is automatically grounds for divorce, but I think it can be depending on what's going on specifically in that situation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I maybe, yeah. maybe one nuance that we might add to that um, is what, I think Jesus said, Moses allowed divorce because of the hardness of your heart. And to me, there's a big difference between somebody who's struggling with pornography and has the heart of, I really want to get past this. I really want to 
bring this before the Lord and seek counsel and fight this versus the person who has a hard heart, even if they never have that online chat experience with somebody, but they keep going back to it and have an unrepentant heart. Uh, would you say that that would apply? Um, yeah. So wait, let me throw in another another thing in here. And like I said, life is complicated. And so yeah. just because something's grounds for divorce mm-hmm. doesn't mean divorce should happen when the grounds for divorce show up. Mm-hmm. And so it's this is this is this isn't about the military. This isn't about the, the governmental law. This is human relationships. And so, um, a uh, if a woman ran to me like this happened once as a pastor she came to me, just discovered her husband in in the in adultery, and the first thing she said is, "Do I have to take him back? Can I just can I divorce him now?" She's mad. She's upset. She's super hurt. And part of me is like, "Well, objectively, yes, you can divorce him now." And but in, but pastorally, my answer to her was, "Let's not worry about that right now." <laughs> Right. Let's yeah. not worry about that right now. Like, like, let's let's just deal with today. Um, because while she was, she would be totally legitimate to divorce him. Then there could be a beautiful restoration still potentially. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to dump that on a woman. Like it's her job to restore him. Mm-hmm. Like, this depends on his repentance, his change in attitude. Um, but we have the book of Hosea as an example of of this. Hosea's asked to marry this woman who's going to be immoral, and she cheats on him and everything. And then, and God's like, take her back, take her back, and. In some ways, it's an it's a demonstration of love, but it's not the kind of love we want it to be. The love story we want Hosea to be is these two people that love each other and they kind of hurt, you know, she hurts him, but then they still come back and love again. The story is more like she just never really loves him is what it seems like. Mm-hmm. And this is a picture of Israel, of God's attitude towards Israel. And he's like, hey, you know, you've, you've played the lover with many other men, right? so to speak. And, mm-hmm. and I'm still reaching out to you to come back. So while divorce is, yes, Divorce is legitimate in the case of adultery. It's not that it has to happen. It's not like mm-hmm. a law that you have to get divorced then. And there's many marriages that would say, we we received restoration and transformation after those horrible events. Yeah, Right. And that would be because their hearts were soft and yeah. willing to do the work. Um, right. Yeah. yeah if, if, the man, if the man or woman who committed adultery is unrepentant, then I'm much more inclined to counsel someone. Yeah, mm-hmm. divorce them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they won't repent. So let's go to that second reason that you mentioned. You called it abandonment. And is it specifically if an unbeliever doesn't want to be married to you? Uh, or is it even if you're married to a Christian and they're like, hey, I want out, uh, that you're yeah. released? So um, this comes from First Corinthians 7. And so Jesus talked about the situation of adultery. Paul's dealing then with a new situation Jesus never talked about. And what's What's interesting I'll point out is when Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians 7, he doesn't just say, well, Jesus said only adultery, mm-hmm. so problem solved. Mm-hmm. He actually tackles it like a new topic. Uh, this implies that Jesus's rule, while true and generally a true rule we drop on everything, it's not a rule that has no other exceptions. And so an example of this is like Jesus says, uh, don't call people you fool. If you mm-hmm. call them fool, you're in danger of hellfire. Jesus also, a few verses later, calls the Pharisees blind fools. And so... <laughs> So, oh, Jesus is being a hypocrite. No, no, no. Jesus gave a general rule, but this was a situation that did call for it. Yeah. Right. And the general rule is uh, no divorce except for adultery, but there are other extreme scenarios. Mm -hmm. So the scenario Paul deals with in 1 Corinthians 7 is a a believer whose whose spouse separates from them. Now, under Roman law, because he's he's writing here to Romans or to Greek, Greco-Roman, you know, culture, not, not Jews in Corinth. And under Roman law, all that was required, unlike in Judaism, all that was required to break a marriage was just literally leaving the spouse. Like you just move away, you leave the house, and then 
So a, a woman or a man could break a marriage. Under Jewish law, only the husband could technically divorce. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes the rabbis, the local like synagogue, would, would try to force a husband to sign a bill of divorce on behalf of a woman. But mostly it was very difficult for a woman to get a divorce. So here's the scenario. You get saved. You're all you're on fire for Jesus, man. You love the Lord. And your pagan spouse is not down with that. And it creates a rift in the marriage. And they're like, I'm out of here. I, I, I hate this stuff. And so what does Paul say for that person? And he says, hey, if you have a brother, I'll, I'll read 1 Corinthians 7, 12. He says, to the rest, uh, I say, I, not the Lord, say, meaning Jesus didn't have a command on this, but I'm going to give a command as an apostle. If any brother has a wife who does not believe and she's willing to live with him, let him not divorce her. Now, this is important because believers aren't supposed to marry non-believers. Mm-hmm. Hey, but if you are married to a non-believer, don't divorce over that if they're willing to stay. And he goes on, and a woman who has a husband who does not believe, if he's willing to live with her, let her not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband sanctified by the wife and the unbelieving wife sanctified by the husband. And he talks about the children being being uh, blessed and benefited through having a godly parent there. Verse 15 says, but if the unbeliever departs, and here's the, here's the debate. If the unbeliever departs, they leave. Let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So, what does he mean by that? If you're not in bondage, and um, for the, the Greeks and the and the Jews, uh, under a divorce certificate, when it, it would if the concept of not being in bondage meant you were free to marry someone else, that's what it meant. Mm-hmm. The idea that some people have is that um, they departed. So you're we have this this term in in current American thinking, right? We're separated, but we're still married. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But in the Greco-Roman world, they're like, no, they're the same thing. Like you separated, you're divorced. Mm -hmm. They're the same. So he's saying you're free. You're free from the marriage. Some people want to say, well, you're still bound to the marriage. Like you're, you're still married, but you're not required to pursue it and you don't have to live with them and you don't have to fulfill any of your vows. And I'm like, that's not sketchy. Am I bound or free? Which is it? Like I'm, so I'm married to them but I have no obligation to fulfill my marital vows. Like, that doesn't yeah. make any sense. And in some ways, this would be like that extreme view of divorce is never right, where mm-hmm. maybe you can't live together because of a hard heart or abuse or uh, abandonment, but you're still married in spirit. Like God right. still sees you as one. And so even though you don't enjoy any of the benefits of marriage, you're still bound you're not free right. to date. You're not. You're not free. Yeah. So I did a lot of study on the on the term that he uses there for free and bound and all this kind of stuff. And I, I'm convinced that it means you're free to remarry. Mm-hmm. Um, now, but that's an unbeliever. So mm-hmm. the significance about an unbeliever, especially in Corinth, in, in sorry, First Corinthians, Paul's writing, he sees believers as being under the influence of the church and even under under the influence of the apostles and Jesus. And so if it's a believer who leaves their spouse, he's like, get back together, man, reconcile, mm-hmm. guys, work mm-hmm. on this. But mm-hmm. if it's an unbeliever. The church has no influence over this person. So yeah. he's not going to hold the believer bound forever to that marriage when that person's leaving you. Um, so is there ever a cause where let's say your husband leaves you, your wife leaves you, and they're still a believer, or at least they claim to be. And you're like, well, it's not the scenario anymore. It doesn't fit Paul's situation. So I'm going to add something that some people might have a problem with and I'll put it out there. This is, this is what you'll find as the weak spot potentially in my argument, but I think it's legitimate is that I think there's a time where you can treat a believer like an unbeliever based on both Jesus and Paul. So Matthew 18, Jesus talks about it. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul talks about it. And he's like, hey, if after multiple attempts of reconciliation, when a believer's in active ongoing sin towards another believer, if they will not hear you, 
you can treat them as a non-believer. Hmm. It doesn't mean that they are unsaved. We're not making a judgment on that. We're just saying you can officially put them in that category of, I will treat you as a non-believer. So let me apply it to our scenario. You're married. Your spouse leaves you. They still say they're Christian. They're kind of hanging this over your head. You're still bound to me. I'm not an unbeliever, but they won't listen to you. They won't listen to the local church. You've tried reaching out to the church they're going to or your own church that you're both part of, and they will not listen. They will not hear. They will not restore. Now you can officially treat them as an unbeliever, hmm. in which case 1 Corinthians seven twelve seems to apply. Yeah. It's like an unbeliever departing from you. Mm-hmm. You're not in bondage. And that process you're describing is not a two-day process. Of, well, I tried. They won't talk to the yeah. pastor. And this is a laboring over uh, praying for repentance, making gestures towards them, having yeah. other people intervene and making appeals, giving God time to work. Um, so yeah. this is something that maybe over the course of a couple years, you just see is not going to be resolved. Right. Mm-hmm. I fully agree. But I've, I've seen it where um, the woman I know was... Uh, know very well was acting she left her her husband and kids and she was off living with and sleeping with another man for years mm-hmm. and her husband her you know who she left felt like he could never move on mm-hmm. and he had to stay single forever while she was actively continually living in this lifestyle and um, now this did of course have adultery as well now part of it is you know on his heart he just he wanted to just be i mean this is beautiful and godly and Christ-like. He just wanted to be like, I'm going to just wait. I'm waiting. Mm-hmm. I'm praying. I'm seeking. Mm-hmm. I hope for restoration. But I would want that to be an attitude, an act of free love and grace and not a requirement placed upon you by others. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, that's the thing that I think. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know, I, I've been a domestic violence counselor. I've seen many situations for years. I did this and many situations where I'm like, I, I think that, um, some pe- some of these people are discussing these things, and they're not really aware that these are real life scenarios. Yeah. and when they're you really see aware it up that close, it's a different, it's a whole different deal when you see there are, there are men who, and it's usually men. It's not always mm-hmm. men, okay, but it's more often men who um, literally torture their wives, mm-hmm. who will like take their wives' things and hide them, mm-hmm. so that they can try to convince their wives that they're crazy. Yeah, because if their wife won't trust themselves, then the husband can have that much more power in their life. And I'm like. This is this is torture. Okay, you you can we, we have to recognize we're not just dealing with the husband who sometimes gets mad and and flies off the handle in some way, and wives can do this too. Like I've known there's there's women who've poisoned they slowly try to poison their husbands to death. Okay, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it's not just typical marriage problems that we're talking about here. Yeah, so you bring up this issue now of of violence, of of abuse, and not all abuse, as you're describing, is physical. It can be spiritual, emotional, verbal, sexual. This is where I feel like we're getting into waters that aren't as clear in Scripture. And we can look at a passage and say, look, there it's talking about sexual immorality. And look, there it's talking about this abandonment issue. But there isn't a clear example or teaching in scripture that addresses what to do uh, when there's any form of abuse within a marriage relationship. Yeah. And I, again, I think here it's because things are too complicated. So I, I, let me give you an example of how real life people are confused, no matter what you say on this mm-hmm. topic. Yeah. Um, so there's a woman who will say suffer um, disturbing emotional abuse uh, um uh, alienation. So some of the tactics of, of abusers are like alienating you from your family. Mm-hmm. And so maybe I, maybe I call your dad 
and I tell him you said things about him you never said mm -hmm. to try to hurt your relationship with him because I see him as a threat to my control in your life. Yeah. I, I, I take our family and I move us far away from all your all your family and relatives, not because it's a good move choice for us, but because I just want to isolate you. Mm. I won't I don't I don't want you hanging out with your friends. Uh, the day that you're gonna go plan to hang out with your friends, I don't come home from work. Mm. So that you have to stay home and take care of the kids, like just so I can control every little aspect of your life. Um, now, when you add all these behaviors together, you have a type of isolation and abuse that's really significant. But what about somebody who just wants out of the marriage for whatever reason? And yeah. they're like, like that time my husband hung out with his friends when I when he was supposed to take care of the kids. Mike just told me that that's abuse. That right? was that was isolation and <laughs> and people on both sides, like women who mm -hmm. are severely abused, have a hard time admitting how bad it is. Yes, they often won't on, even recognize it as abusive. Right, they have to and have somebody else say it for them. Yeah, like mm -hmm. we, you know, we we pull up the power and control wheel as as a counselor, and you walk them through it, and they go, mm -hmm. "It's a pattern. I never noticed. It. I just thought he had bad days. Yeah. Like I didn't realize this was more." Um, but then on the other hand, I've seen tons of times where someone who divorces, in an effort to justify their divorce, they elevate everything their spouse has done wrong mm -hmm. into a pattern of abuse that's not really the kind of abuse that would justify a divorce. And so I think humans are permanently incapable of accurately and properly working through these as a group. Yeah. And, I, and so I don't want to throw out the baby with the bathwater and say, well, I'll never allow for divorce for abuse, nor do I want to create such a wide definition of abuse that everyone feels legitimized when they leave their spouse. So you did you say you think human beings are are capable or are incapable? Well, as individuals, I think we can be capable. Okay. As a group, I think we're, it's really, it's really, we're not good at figuring this out. See, now I would um, say almost it would be the opposite in that if I were in that situation, I would want a group around me giving me insight and calling things out, calling me out. Like, I don't, I don't trust myself to be able to see that clearly because. Mm -hmm. Oh, I know. Okay. I get does that mean. make sense? What I mean is like, uh, I guess I say individuals. What I was thinking of is, um, uh, you have to apply it to high isolated situations mm -hmm. and you have to apply it thoughtfully and carefully. Okay. But if you just throw out, the, this is why I have a hard time defining the word abuse or saying, yeah. here's when it's okay to take off. Because right. when you try to like give those really blanket terms and descriptions, people will grab onto that and use it to justify things wrong. Yeah. They'll take one example. And yeah. yeah, I think we can make the case that, that something abusive happens in every marriage. Yeah. And when right. I say that, like, the manipulation you're describing, like who hasn't done that in a season of unhealth and frustration and, uh, you know, and same thing, like you said, with, with arguing, sometimes we verbally abuse each other by the words we use or the way we take our spouse's worst quality and throw it back in their face. Uh, and so that occasionally happens in our worst moments. Uh, yeah. So we all could say, yeah, um, yeah, we've got grounds for it right here, but right. but I think the other the other extreme is so so important. There are so many, particularly women who have gone to spiritual leadership with a complaint of something really unhealthy is happening here, and the advice that they get is: here's a book on marriage, just respect your husband more, uh, submit to him because you know Jesus submitted to authorities and they can point to even like first Peter two and three that seem to connect the two. Um, 
and and women are staying in very very unhealthy relationships. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's challenging. So as uh, this something people for people to know and counselors to know is that generally speaking, when someone let's say you have someone come to you who's legitimately being abused, like significant abuse that ha- action must be taken on, when they do open up to you, they very rarely will tell you the full extent of how things are. Usually in that first conversation, they underplay, they downplay things. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then the then the then this can create a situation where the counselor reacts to what they perceive. Oh, well, that doesn't sound as bad as all that. Yeah. And oftentimes what, that, what a counselor really needs to do is stop and keep, keep asking questions and keep asking questions and keep digging and don't give advice yet. Just keep gathering, build a safe relationship mm-hmm. with that person to talk and um, and keep gathering information. And... And then, and then it gets complicated because, like, I, I know this. Like, I would work with primarily domestic violence perpetrators, men who have been convicted of committing domestic violence uh, of all various stripes. Mm-hmm. And so I would talk to them, and I would do, a, a, like, a, an hour-and-a-half-long intake process where I just get the whole story from them as much as I can. Then I would go, and I would call the person that they abused, and I would get the story from them. And it was never the same. Wow. It was never the same. And so um, I found that every abuser minimizes their abuse and they sometimes are really good at it mm-hmm. and oftentimes women who are abused are not exactly in the most mentally healthy state um sometimes okay look unhealthy people often not not always often get into unhealthy relationships sure. and mm-hmm. so when you have an abuser who's serially abusing a person you don't always ha- the person they're hurting isn't always they don't always look like just an innocent victim sometimes they look like an irrational basket case because they they're in this incredibly unhealthy environment for a long period of time. And so we have to be very careful and patient as we unpack that stuff. So Mike, you already kind of talked about this a little bit earlier, but I I'd like for you to go back to it. Where in the Bible does it say that if you're being abused, God wants you to leave that marriage? Um Again, I think there there's clear examples in the scripture we can say sexual immorality, yes, abandonment, yes. But this is where it gets stickier. And is it because in the culture the laws were different or are we just missing some of the important nuance? Um, because a lot of women are honestly wrestling with, uh, if God loves me, why would he want me to stay in a situation where not not only is a husband hurting me, but he's actually using to, the Bible to justify that hurt? Yeah. I laugh because the command to a husband is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. So anybody who, and here's what I noticed of studying the scriptural commands to husbands and wives. The Bible doesn't command husbands how wives are to behave. It doesn't command wives how husbands are to behave. It tells wives how they are to behave, tells husbands how they are. And this puts the, the responsibility for that firmly in the place of the husband or the wife. So this is why a husband who's obsessed with the commands to his wife is really spiritually stupid like this is this is this it doesn't matter it doesn't matter like you're called to love herself sacrificially regardless of her behavior but what you're doing is you're ignoring the commands to you so this is jesus's plank in the eye situation right the plank in your eye is you ignoring your command to love your wife right the speck in her eye is is her not in your opinion submitting and respecting you the way that she's supposed to Mm -hmm. um so yeah I, i think that i'm called to love my wife regardless of her behavior Mm-hmm. And if I, unless I do that, I, I don't, I, what ground do I have to tell her how she's supposed to behave? Mm-hmm. Um, but the, um, the question is this, like, do, can I build a biblical case that there's a, there's a right for basically self-defense, even in the face of 
you know, a marriage commitment. And so I think that there's just this consistent biblical thing that human well-being, like proper human well-being and, and safety, uh, trumps rules, trumps mm-hmm. general rules. Mm-hmm. And so examples of this are things like um, submit to government. And yet we have many examples in scripture of times when rebellion to government was appropriate. And often because of the oppression that was going on, extreme oppression. We have things like David fleeing from Saul. Now, David says that Saul is God's anointed and he won't strike him, but he literally runs away and takes a bunch of the military guys with him. Mm-hmm. Like this is clearly not part of submitting to government. Yet there's a rule there. And Saul's definitely, he's not just some random governmental leader. Like he's definitely God's anointed. Yeah. And so we have this. We also have Jesus weigh in on this because when David fled from Saul, King Saul in the Old Testament, he went and he ate the showbread or this ceremonial bread that no one's supposed to eat, at least except the high priest, right? Like the priests are able to eat it and that's it. And he eats it. And then Jesus uses this as an illustration. And he says, you know, it's not lawful to eat of the showbread, but David ate of it. And if you read the passage, it looks like Jesus is saying, guys, duh, this is an obvious exception to a normal rule. Human Mm -hmm. well-being and life is different than normal normal scenarios. And so like, I, I don't want, you know, like you wouldn't want your kids yelling at you. But if you were driving and you didn't notice you were heading for a wall and your kids screamed at you and grabbed the wheel and pulled it, you'd be like, well, that's the exception to the rule. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Normally, don't you dare yell at me and grab the steering wheel, you crazy kid. But this is the exception to that rule. I think this is consistent. You know, when Jesus talks about the Sabbath, he goes, yeah, I don't work on the Sabbath. But if, you know, I'm going to heal on the Sabbath, it's, it's, it's okay to save on the Sabbath. Uh, yeah, don't divorce. But if human, like real essential human well-being and mental health is part of that, mm-hmm. real essential human well-being is being uh, threatened by the relationship, then it can become an exception. Mm-hmm. And so I build a case for this a little bit more in detail in my big divorce and remarriage video um, that people can watch or you can get it on BibleThinker.org. You can find it there too. But um, but yeah, what do you what do you think of that, Julie? Yeah, I I like what you're saying. I think it's very consistent with Uh, Yeah, I think Gary Thomas put it this way. He essentially said, like, God made marriage for people, just like Jesus would say, you know, I made I made the Sabbath for man, not man for the Sabbath, that God's love for us is even greater than his love for marriage. Uh, And but here's where I think we have to be careful, even as you describe human well-being, including mental health. And you already sort of mentioned this, that we're always looking for that. Well, that could apply to me. And we see this happening all the time today with defining, well, my well-being is I'm anxious or my well-being is I'm so unhappy in this marriage. I would I would thrive so much more if I were with this other person. And so right. that's why I think we need to be careful with that. Um, the examples that you gave are extreme examples. And abuse is an extreme situation. It's not the normal ups and downs and disappointments that we encounter in marriage. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that. It, and, I, and I would say this is that uh, I'm spending a lot of time trying to defend uh, people and more often women who are being severely abused and that they should leave and receive support and, and help and encouragement and affirmation. But I think most of the people listening to this who are thinking about divorce, they aren't those people. I think mm-hmm. most of the people listening need to be encouraged about the general. And this is perhaps why God is so strong on the general rules of mm-hmm. preserving marriage and yielding and loving and forgiving and restoring because that does affect most of the marriages. Mm-hmm. Um, we can always find something to, to, to try to justify. And maybe this is why we bring other people around. And, and, and if anybody's, you're not sure, maybe you're on the fence, you're listening, you're like, wait, 
is this abuse or not? Like, am, am I the woman who's abused or the man who's abused whose eyes are closed? Or am I the person who's looking to justify a divorce and I can't tell the difference? What you have to do is bring other godly people into the situation who you can trust and give them, an, and this is, so, this is the key, an unfiltered version of what's gone on. Don't hide your own issues at all. Just give them an unfiltered description of all that's going on and help them help, help you work through that. Mm. Boy, that's such good counsel and so important. Uh, Mike, do you think that there's ever a case where someone is divorced, but they're not free to remarry? And if so, what would that be? Great question. Um, yeah, so I, I have a, a nuanced view on this, and it comes from uh, two things. On one side, we have in Scripture, like statements like Jesus with the woman at the well. He says, you, you've had five husbands, and the man you have now is not your husband. And so that implies that they had, she had real marriages, multiple real marriages. Okay, mm -hmm. so it seems as though remarriage is like a real thing. But he also says on the other side, um, if you divorce except for adultery and then marry someone else, that is it. You're committing adultery. So wait, does divorce work or not is the question. Is, mm -hmm. is When you get a divorce, are you act, do, are the two no longer one? Are they back to two again? Mm -hmm. Or are they still one and it was just a piece of paper or just a legal thing and God laughs at it? And I think the answer is d divorces are real. Divorces are real. And this is, I have to be real careful how I say this is, um, but you're still morally obligated to restore the marriage unless it was a legitimately justified divorce. And so divorce, every divorce counts, but there's a moral obligation to get back together unless there's been legitimate justification for the divorce, uh, either before it happened or after. Yeah. So mm -hmm. what do you think about that? Maybe you ask a follow-up question. Yeah. So let's say I'm divorced and I'm listening to this and mm -hmm. I'm realizing, I don't know if I have a justified divorce. What do I do? Uh, and there's other complications of what if my spouse is remarried? Or what if I'm remarried? Is my current marriage a sin? Am I living in perpetual sin? Do I need to leave this marriage and try to go fix the first one? So this is where it gets really messy for people. Yeah, it sure does. Okay, so I've got to point people to that three-hour teaching I did. And the, the video is just called like, Divorce and Remarriage, Everything the Bible Says About It. Like that's the name of the video. Or you could just Google my name, Mike Winger, and the type the topic divorce will probably pop up, but uh, I'm going to give more details in that video because we're coming to the end here, I think. Yep. So mm -hmm. my short my short answer, which I don't have time to build the whole case for, is um, every marriage is a real marriage. And you know, even if you divorced for wrong reasons and you got remarried and Jesus goes, that was adultery. I don't think he meant it was continually adultery for eternity. He meant it was wrong. But now you have, you've broken and you've joined to a new marriage. We have no examples in the New Testament of anyone being told to leave a previous, a current spouse to go back to a previous one. In Deuteronomy 24, God actually says that specifically can't happen. If mm. you, you're divorced, you marry someone else, you can't go back to the first one. Now we're not under the law, but the point is that's not consistent with what God says. Um, so yeah, your current marriage, make it work. Don't, don't make the same mistakes again by invalidating or thinking it doesn't count. Like you're married, make this one work. Um, the past has already happened. You can only work on the present. But yeah, the, um, the, the situation is this, like if I've divorced, but there wasn't, hasn't been legitimate justification, I should seek to reconcile and rebuild and fix that marriage. If they won't hear me after a long time of trying, they won't hear the church, they won't hear anything, then I'm not bound to that forever. But mm -hmm. I, sh I should, that should be my priority. Um, so then if they, they're an unbeliever who's unwilling. They're, they're a believer who won't listen to the church or me or any real attempts to reconcile. Or if there's been adultery at some point, 
um, or if there was some other legitimate reason for the divorce, then then yeah, you're free to remarry. Uh, but even if you married wrongly, you're married. Mm-hmm. You know, people are like, "Is this the one?" I'm like, "Well, when you look across the bed, and you're married to that person, they're the one." <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I sure appreciate you doing all this hard work of wrestling with the scriptures and putting them in a format that we can understand and apply. I know that that's a labor of love. So thank you. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on. And I apologize to everybody for my short answers, but I have a three hour long video you can check out with all my long answers. Well, so, uh, honestly, some people do just want the short answers too. So that's okay. Yeah. But we yeah. definitely will point people to the right content if they're like, okay, I need to hear that over again, or I need to have it more fully explained. So I appreciate your work yeah. on this.